If you're new or newer to the GraceWorks, we're uh, going into a study of First and Second Samuel. We just came out of a study on the book of James. Uh, and so this book has been a little bit different when we're looking at uh, kind of the genre of the Bible. We know that we're coming out of James, which was wisdom literature, which means we took smaller sections and there was just big idea after big idea after big idea. We spent a lot of time preaching through James. We could have spent even more time there. Uh, it's, it's just jam packed full. Well, when we, and that, we call that wisdom writing. Uh, there's quite a few uh, books in the Bible that are like that. And it's just every verse you read seems to have just some big idea, some lofty thought, something that really needs to be unpacked. Um, now we're in a narrative book. And if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know we've taken large chunks and there's a lot more reading. Um, and, and, and it's a different type of book. It's a different type of study. Uh, and it's, it's a lot of fun. The, the writer that is writing out what Holy Spirit is inspiring them use a lot of creativity. Uh, they're telling a story. These are real places. These are real people. These are, are stories that a lot of us grew up Maybe learning from the flannel graphs in Sunday school. I still remember the flannel graphs and, and, uh, I, I know I'm showing my age by saying that, but I, I loved that. So we would learn about Samuel. We would learn about Saul and King David. That was a lot of fun. And, uh, and the, those narrative books tell those stories. And there's still God interacting and engaging with his people. Um, and, and, and the, and the story kind of, it's where it meets up with God a lot of times and you're reading through a chapter and you're like, ah, there we go. We see God in that. And so as a church body, that's what we get to do. And as we're studying there, there's, there's more of an artistic flow and a creativity that comes through from the writer, but still that big idea of how we can be changed and become more like Jesus, uh, to walk further down that path of discipleship and, and become the men and women that God has called us to be. But we're going to see in these stories, there's going to be times where the author sets the stage and there's character development. And, and it, it's just great because as we see these people kind of grow in who they are, we see God's plans come through. And, and that can be encouraging to us. And so hopefully as we go through First and Second Samuel, we'll see really who God is and how he engages with people. And the encouragement... I hope for you will be God is real. These things we're studying about him is real. He cares about me and my life intersects with God. I would argue on a daily basis. We just got to be able to see that you know, and we got to be able to recognize it. Right. And, and so I'm really excited about this study. It's going to take us about a year to go through both books and, and we're just really excited about this time together. So I'm glad you're here this morning. The historical context of First and Second Samuel, we've covered a little bit each of the last couple of weeks, so we're going to do it just briefly one more time. First Samuel comes after a season of the judges. Uh, uh, God had put judges into Israel, and they were used by God to kind of keep control of the people and also teach the people. Uh, you had priests still there doing the work in their temple, but you had the judges kind of set over them. And uh, if you're wondering how things were going at the end of the book of Judges, you just have to look at Judges 17, verse 6. 
and, and it's summed up, okay? They're coming out of a season of Judges, and this is how the author of Judges writes out how they're doing. They did what was right in their own eyes. So it's not going very well for the people of Israel, the children of Israel, God's chosen people. They're doing what's right in their own eyes. Judges are somewhat losing control of the people. The people actually want kings, right? And they want, they're starting to grumble and say, we want to be like everybody else. All these other nations have kings and we want a king. We want to be able to look to a king. And first and second Samuel, which really was one writing and we've split it into two. Um, first and second Samuel come in between that and it studies a few of the main characters as we bridge the gap from judges and first and second kings. And so this shift we're starting to see is, is where God is less in the governance role, which is what he desired, because man, mankind, God's people, said we want a human representative. We want to be able to go and talk to somebody. We want somebody to be able to lead and rule. And so there's this shift that is happening, and that's where First and Second Samuel fall in. God's voice is... Uh, not being heard by many people during this time in First and Second Samuel. We've seen over the first couple of chapters that the, the priest is Eli and his grown sons. Uh, I always like to say Phineas and Ferb, but it's Hopney and Phineas, right? They are, they are the sons and they are a disaster. They're a mess. They're not doing anything right. Um, and, and so by God's hand, he brings along Samuel uh, through a really cool story there in, in 1 Samuel 1. If you missed that a couple weeks ago, I'll let you go back this week and read that chapter. But he provides this young man, Samuel, uh, to come into the temple and to be a part of this. And, and God's voice is going to come back to the people. And, and, and what's really cool, this is kind of a spoiler. Uh, I'm going to tell you what happens. God is going to use Samuel. And we're going to see through this study all the excitement of, of what can happen when men and women listen to God's voice and then act upon it. So really cool. Um, the setting really quick, we're in Shiloh. That's where the temple was. Shiloh's a town in the central area of Israel, northwest of the Dead Sea. So we got a little map up here. You can kind of see uh, what's going on up there. You see where Jerusalem is and Samaria, Bethlehem, and you see where Shiloh is. So when we're talking about Shiloh, that's the area we're talking about. Uh, this is a panoramic of Shiloh. We'll see if I can get it to work here. Uh, right at the base of the hill is where the temple, we believe, was, or as they've excavated. Um, there's not a lot of trees. Doesn't look like the Northwest, does it? Right? There's a lot of rock. There's some brush. But this is Shiloh. Um, and that's the site we believe where the temple was. Am I getting it again here? Oh, it's going one more time. Why not? Let's try to move on from that here. Um, as they've excavated, they believe this is the site right here at the base of the hill. You can kind of see the rock wall around it of where the temple site in Shiloh was. 
For years, hundreds of years, if not thousands plus, they had used a portable temple site. And Shiloh was the first one where they kind of built up some walls, some rooms. So it used to look a lot like this. And they would set this up wherever the children of Israel were as they were traveling, as they were moving. And and yet in this book, we're going to start hearing them talk about doors and doorposts. And again, from what they have found out there, it looks like they were starting to build some permanent buildings in the temple or in the temple area. So as we're reading and we hear about doors, we hear about doorposts, uh, we believe, again, we're not saying this is a picture of the existing temple, but this is the kind of building that might have been built with wall around it, other or, uh, you know, tents and ornaments and stuff to, to be the temple of God. And so as we read today and we hear about doors and doorposts and that kind of stuff, um, we want to kind of keep that in mind. This is what it looked like. This is a real place. These were real people. This isn't just a story that is told to tell about a good God, but this really did happen. Uh, and it was over here in Shiloh. And this brings us to chapter three. So that's where we're going to land today. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up to first Samuel uh, chapter three. We'll also have the words up here on the screen uh, and we'll dive in and see what God has for us. Let's pray first. Father God, we do thank you for today. We thank you for an opportunity to look into your word Holy Spirit, help us to hear from you. If we're distracted right now, I pray that you will take that distraction from us, that we can spend the next 25 minutes, 30 minutes hearing from you. What do you want to teach us today? Help us to be a people who desire to hear from you on a regular basis, uh, and help today be uh, not an exception to that. We love you. We thank you for this time together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you guys had a boombox, a a radio when you were growing up? See some hands out there. I had a big yellow Magnavox that had two tapes in it. So I was the guy making the mixtapes for my friends. Uh, And then at night when they would do the top 40 or the top 10, depending on which station you would listen for, I would listen to the the guy being done talking and the start of the song and I would hit play record, right? And you would try to listen. But when you were listening to the radio part of it, you had a little tuning dial. Do you guys remember the little tuning dial? I don't think my kids know what those are. Right? I mean, they just put in the number into the radio and their digital tuner picks it right up. But I had to struggle, right? You guys remember the struggle of getting it tuned in? There were sometimes you would be in between two stations and, and it would pick up both. Tell me I'm not the only one that remembered that. You're trying to listen to somebody talk or listen to a song and you got another song playing in with it. It was like a mix before they did mixes. It was crazy, right? And, and, and yet we wanted to tune in. Well, when you were on the FM radio and you were working to tune it in and it would finally be clear and you could hear your song and you got all excited, um, you ha- you, a lot of us didn't realize or remember that that frequency was flying around while we were tuning that in. And will still be flying around when you turn off your radio, right? I mean, the, the FM frequencies are all around us. We had to adjust the dial, right? 
from a broad adjustment from, let's say you were at the end of like 1600 and you wanted to get back to like 710 to listen to sports radio. You had to crank that dial quite a bit, broad adjustment. Then when you got down to around 700 or 750 or 770, which was another station I would accidentally tune into quite a bit. And you got to turn it just a little bit more. There was the fine tuning. You're always readjusting that dial, right? And eventually, if you were lucky, you would get that clear sound, right? And you're like, yes, that's perfect. The antenna's just right. Uh, and yet, the whole time all around us, the, that, that, that frequency was present, right? It was, it was around us. Now, if we think about that in regards to God's voice, there's a lot of similarities, God always desires communication with his people. God's voice is always being broadcast to you. Now, some of you may not have thought about that this way. You know your Bible is God's word. And, you, and if you're like me, we, we take that for granted a lot of times. But you don't think that like this is God's word to you. This is the person, uh, this God is the person that's supposed to be the most important person in your life, but a lot of times our Bibles just sit on our, our coffee table until next Sunday, right? And yet God's word is there and he, his voice is being broadcast to us through his word. It's always available to us and we need to learn how to tune into it. So the, the big idea today that I want to look into into this story is tuning into God's voice. And uh, it helps align us with his storyline. So let's tune in and hear God's voice, starting in chapter 3, verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Now, we're going to pause there after those first three verses, because this is kind of setting the stage for the story today. And the narrator does a good job doing this. We see the broad, right? Like we were talking about just turning on the radio, didn't matter where you were at, you're starting to pick up some frequencies, right? And, And the broad scene here is in those days. We've heard about Samuel the last couple of chapters. We're starting to get excited about maybe what God's going to do through him. And, and, and so we know that in those days, we see that the word of the Lord was rare. God wasn't speaking to his people. Why? Well, because of what we've read about Hopney and Phineas, right? And Eli, as an ineffective father and, and priest, wasn't correcting his own family. So God had, had drawn back, had pulled back from communicating with those people who were supposed to be leading Israel, the children of Israel. So the Lord was, the word of the Lord was rare. God wasn't speaking to the priests. Eli's family was in sin. They had hardened their hearts. They weren't interested. When the people of Israel would say, you're wrong for eating of the offering before it's offered to God. They didn't want to hear that. If you didn't want to give of your offering because you thought, man, they're doing things wrong, they would take it by force. These were bad dudes. And, and when they were presented with the truth, they didn't change their mind. So we had this unwillingness then of the father, Eli, this ineffectual priest, to deal with his sons. Now, 
as we tune in this story, we see it progresses to a specific scene. At that time is the way the author writes that, right? We're fine-tuning there. And, and, and at this time, we're going to check in on a couple of our characters. We have an aging Eli. It says his eyesight had grown dim, right? And he was laying in his own place. So he was asleep. He was in bed. Uh, and his eyesight had grown dim. And yet, look at the way the author describes young Samuel. He was ministering in the temple under Eli. So he was giving the respect to Eli, uh, even if he didn't deserve it, as the priests that God had set in charge of Israel. And as we look more specifically at this particular story, we see that he was lying down in the temple. And it says that he was near the Ark of the, of the Covenant. He was near the place that God resided Right? So we see that that's his proximity uh, to God. He's laying down in the temple, sleeping there. We also see that the lamp of God had not yet gone out. Now, there was an actual temple. We know this from descriptions of the temple. In the temple, there was a light that was lit in the evening that would be on all night long. And, and in some places, that's called the lamp of God. And so we think that the, the author here is saying it's probably early morning. It's still nighttime, but the lamp of God has not gone out yet. There was an actual light on in the temple, right? We see that they were lying down because it's nighttime. And then we see other descriptors that kind of say, hey, this is either in or near the temple. We think that uh, obviously Samuel was in the temple sleeping, whether Eli had his own place outside the temple, and that's what they were talking about there, or if it was just further from where the Ark of the Covenant was stored, we don't know for sure, but Eli was lying in his, old pl- in his own place. So we, we kind of see some descriptions that are going to play a part in this story that we're looking at. He also, the writer also writes that his, his eyesight was fading. And, and again, we know that there is, is, as you age, your eyes start going. You know, six, seven years ago, I didn't wear any glasses. Now I got like three different ones, depending on what I'm doing, right? I got my regular glasses. I got my reading glasses. I got these that are kind of computer glasses. Yeah, you know, I got my eyes are starting to go. Well, we know that Eli's eyes were going. Now, if you want to kind of look into the story a little bit, we also feel that this is talking about his spiritual influence in Israel, his eyesight, right? What he could see, what he could perceive, how he was being used by God was going away. Now, Samuel, through the first two chapters, we see was near to the Lord. He was in the presence of the Lord. He was serving the Lord. We keep seeing those kind of phrases. And so what does the author here say? Samuel was sleeping near the Ark of the Covenant, near God. He was as close to God as he could be. That's where God resided amongst his people, was in the Ark of the Covenant. It's a really cool thing. Again, Eli, a little bit further away, whether still in the temple or outside of it, had his own place to lie down. And again, that idea of the the lamp not yet being done, we know that there was a physical lamp that kind of is telling the time of this story, but also that God's presence was fading amongst his people because they didn't want it anymore. They weren't listening. They weren't obeying. 
So let's not take, you know, we, we don't want to make too much of the creative thought that might have been along that because we don't want to overstretch. But man alive, if you're just reading the story and hearing these words and taking into consideration the first two chapters, you see Samuel, this young man, wanting to be near God and wanting to serve. And you see Eli, this old man who kind of lost control, at least of his sons and maybe even his spiritual influence, fading away, right? And and so the stage is set. Now let's listen to this interaction. If you've been in Bible uh, Bible studies or in Sunday school, you've probably heard this story. So we're going to read through it and then we're going to look at it and see what God's trying to say here to us. Starting in verse four, we're going to go all the way through 14. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, here am I, or here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I didn't call you lie down again. So he went and lay down and again, the Lord called Samuel and Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son lie down again. Now Samuel did not know the Lord And the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. Verse 8. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he rose and went to Eli. And he said, here I am for you've called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak Lord for your servant here. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now, just really quick before we go on to that next section, we we see a story here where Samuel is learning to tune into what God is saying. Samuel knows God. He knows of God. So when he says here, the author says here that Samuel didn't know God yet, he was talking about hearing the literal voice of God. Okay, Samuel had not heard directly from God, and yet Samuel believed. We knew that through his believing parents and his influence that he was already having at this young age in the temple. Okay, so when the author says he didn't know God, he was talking about the voice. Now, we we, we get to know people's voice, right? You hear somebody in the next room, you know who's talking. Right? I mean, that, that happens. If, if my wife and I get separated in Target, she stops for a minute and listens and says, there's Mark's voice, and, and is able to watch. She knows I'm going to talk to somebody. I mean, I can't not, so she knows she's going to hear me, and it doesn't matter if I'm on the other side of the, the store. She stops, she listens, she knows where to find me, right? And I think we're all like that. We know people's voice, especially those whom we love. We hear that voice, and we know that voice. So whether in another room or sitting right next to me, uh, you know, I, I know my wife's voice and she knows mine. So let's keep going, though, in this story and see how this section continues. It says, and the Lord came and stood. So a little bit different than the first three times, right? But it says the Lord came and stood, calling as the other time, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak. For your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God 
and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by the sacrifice or offering forever. Now, if you've missed the first two weeks, if today's the first day you're here at the Graceworks, or if you've just been gone the last couple weeks, go home today, read chapters one and two, and you'll know exactly what the author is talking about. Warnings had come to Eli and his family, and he wasn't listening. The scene here intensifies. Samuel, what do you need, Eli? Nothing. Go back to bed. Three times, right? But then the the third time, we see Eli being used by God and saying, Samuel, if it happens again, say, speak, Lord, your servant listens. Right? So God uses Eli to speak into this young man's life. And what we see here is really unique. If you're taking notes, jot down a couple of things here. When Samuel is, 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 uh, when God calls Samuel, 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 right? He's calling him to serve as a prophet. He's moving him into the next phase of his ministry. And that's in 1 Samuel 3. We've seen this before though in scripture. If you're jotting down notes, Genesis 22, God says, Abraham, Abraham. God calls to Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Exodus 3, verse 4. Write that down if you're taking notes. Moses, Moses. God calls to Moses from the burning bush. Why God chooses to yell the name or speak the name loudly twice, I don't know. But we know because of repetition and what happens next in all of these stories that it's significant. Right? And think about your life. If, if, if somebody needs your help or if somebody wants you, they might yell your name twice, right? They yell it, you don't respond, or maybe you didn't hear them. But man, you want to get somebody's attention, you might have to say it twice. Get their attention. And here we see God say to Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. One of the commentaries I read this week said this. The similarity suggests that at this moment, similarity to these other stories, it was an important time in Samuel's life and for all of Israel. As a parallel moment in the lives of these other men, these earlier heroes of the faith. So again, we need to notice this. We need to notice that it's a little bit different and then watch for what God does here next. Now, we don't know why uh, God didn't get Eli's attention the first time when this happened, why Eli was just like, hey, go back to bed, why the second time, why the third time, but God used Eli even on that fourth time. And again, as, as Pastor uh, Brian and I were talking this week, he's preaching down in Lacey, we were saying, if God had come in and spoke to, well, I don't want to wreck it. We're going to get to it in a second. But I think God needed Eli to be a part of this nighttime exchange. And we'll get there in just one second. Samuel needed to tune into God's voice that night because God had a message that Samuel needs to give to Eli, his mentor, his teacher, his coach, right? The person that was closest to him other than his mom and dad. But again, they dropped him off at the temple at about age three. So Eli was the one that he knew the most. God is using Samuel, young Samuel, to bring the consequences, the information of that to Eli, of his family and the sin and what has led them to this point, the judgment that's finally coming. So what will Samuel do in the morning here? We see the engagement with God, but it's not yet morning. So let's keep reading. 
Samuel lay until morning, right? He's, he's in bed. He's asleep. Well, he probably didn't sleep much after this, but he had been asleep. He's laying in his bed and morning comes. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Eli knew what had happened. Do not hide from me. May God do to you uh, and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he has told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do whatever, he, whatever seems good to him. When we read through this part of the story, it's morning time, right? You can picture him getting up. He's kind of nervous to see Eli. He opens up the doors, maybe some windows, hopefully some fresh air. It looked a little dry over there, but fresh air is coming in. The light is up, right? It's daylight. You know, we see the idea of the door of a structure, um, and, and, and we know what's going on there. It's morning time, and Samuel gets up, and then Eli comes to him and says, hey, what did, what did he tell you? Eli knew, even with his eyes being dimmed spiritually, he knew what had probably taken place that night, that God had spoke to Samuel. And so he says, hey, what happened? Now, Samuel had been a little bit nervous. It says here that he was actually afraid to tell Eli the vision, right? He looked up to this man as a mentor, even though he was failing spiritually, and, and really, who wants to deliver a hard word, especially if you're younger, if you've ever been placed in a leadership role as a, as a young person and, and you're, you're, you're instructing and leading people who are 10, 15, 20, 30 years older than you, it's kind of hard when your boss says, hey, you need to tell these other men and women that they're doing something wrong or that they need to change something. And you're a young person, right? And yet God had called him to deliver this hard word. And that's where we got into the speculation that God called Samuel four times that night, including Eli, because Samuel went down to talk to Eli. And, and we, we can speculate, we don't know for sure, other than it does say that Samuel was afraid, that Samuel would hesitate. If Eli didn't say anything to him, would it have, it, it, would it have been hard to bring this word to Eli, his mentor? Whereas God knew that if he had the accountability of Eli himself by Samuel having to go and engage with him multiple times, that Eli wouldn't let that pass and that Samuel would deliver that hard word to Eli. So let's move on here in verse 19. It says, and Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. And let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Bathsheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Here we go. My notes were off by a page. I apologize. So here we see after this word has been given to Samuel and he's delivered it to Eli, that Samuel is continued to be, uh, his, his, the establishment of him as the prophet, as God's prophet continues on. He grew in the Lord and, and, and none of his words fell to the ground. 
In other words, the words that God delivered to him, he was then able to deliver to the people and they were proven true. And God kept engaging with Samuel. We see that here in the story. His public acclaim from Dan to Beersheba. In other words, he was known and he was respected. And, and here's a, a map of, of Dan and, and Beth, Beth, uh, Beersheba. It, it enc- encapsulates almost all of Israel. And he, Samuel, was known all around as a prophet who was finally hearing from God again. Israel hadn't been listening well. We know that from the first few chapters. Again, through their priests, Eli, Hopni, and Phinehas, they, they were all messed up. They weren't hearing from God. The people wanted kings. They wanted something different. They wanted to look like the world around. And yet, in chapter 1, we see Samuel born and dedicated to the Lord. And then he went and did his internship under Eli. God's going to pronounce this judgment on Eli's family. Eli's on his way out. And yet Samuel is established and being established as God's prophet. He's tuning in. He's hearing God. And there's this renewed God's voice coming to Israel through Samuel. The stage is being set for what's going to happen in the rest of this book. And so as we look at chapter 3, we, we, we see a fuller picture of who God is. A God who loves his people. And even when his people reject him and rebel against him, he wants to communicate with him. And so he raises up Samuel through this unique event and set of events. And the dedication from his mom who, who was barren and couldn't have children to where she says, if I have a son, I will dedicate him to the Lord. And we see this fuller picture of who God is, a God who loves his people and wants to communicate with him. And, and we also see an insight here on how God interacts with us as humans. God's word is out there. We have his Bible, the Bible, we have his word to us, and he is ready to engage with you and I through that. And he is patient, and yet we have to become better at listening to God. Like that FM signal, we have to get good at tuning it in because God's voice is all around us. God's voice is all around us and we need to get better at listening to it. And as followers, I think there's a few ways we can tune in to God's voice. It takes work. You have to, you have to intentionally work on that you got to practice. you got to zero in. Like those old radios. It's not always crystal clear, but there are ways that we can tune God's voice in our lives. We have his written word, the Bible. If you don't have a copy of God's word, I know that there are apps on your phone where you can get it for free. But we actually have Bibles in the back. We would love for you to pick up one of those. Put your name in it. Take it home with you. Have God's word with you in a, in a book, in a physical copy, where you can open it up and highlight things, circle things, write down questions, and engage with God's word. We think it's that important. Another way that God can speak to us as believers, if we let him, is through biblical counsel. That doesn't necessarily mean a counselor, but it could be. But no people that you can trust that are listening to God's voice and that can speak that wisdom into your life. 
other men and women who are spending time in the first one there that's God's written word. They're spending time in that. And so when you go to them, you know you'll be getting biblical or godly counsel. Another time that I think that we can tune into God that a lot of times we don't as Christians is during a time of prayer. As we grow in our prayer life, I think God can speak to us through that. Right? A lot of times it's a feeling. Uh, sometimes I'll pray and I'll say, I don't, I don't even know for sure who I'm praying for. And I'll just kind of wait and God might bring somebody to mind. And then I can be like, okay, it, it, you know, and I start praying for that person, their family, maybe what's going on in their life. And then if I have an opportunity, I bump into them or maybe shoot them a text or an email later in the week or a phone call. And I tell them, hey, God, God brought you to my heart and I was able to pray for you this week. A lot of times, I'm telling you, a lot of times it's right when they needed it. And they share what was going on in their lives and, and what an encouragement that was. And I think all we have to do is slow down. And if you're like me at all, when I sit down to pray, like 10 seconds in, my mind is going to everything else I need to do today. And so that's, that's something I'm working on and I need to keep working on. Being silent before the Lord. Being in a time of prayer and, and keeping your own mouth shut so that you can hear from God. Try to tune in in that way. So we have written word, we have biblical counsel, we have prayer, and then we have circumstances. Sometimes God will speak to us through circumstances. It's kind of a weird thing to think about, and, and, and Brian and I talked this week, and, and, and it's, it's the, the process of looking at opportunity and waiting on the Lord instead of just jumping on what you might want to do. One of the main times in my life that that happened was after I had worked at Costco for about 20 years right out of college, and, and I was in management there. And uh, an opportunity presented itself to plant this church 10 years ago. And, and I asked for some of my mentors to pray for me. And I, I talked with Gwen about it. And we prayed about it. And, and yet, it was, it was at a time where there were circumstances that when I stepped back and looked at, directed me. And I knew right then and there. And when I talked to Gwen, she said, yes, I'm feeling the same and hearing the same. And then uh, uh, all of a sudden, the mentors that I had contacted all came in with their thoughts on it and it all pointed to it but when I stepped back and just looked at the circumstances how things were going at work opportunities there what God had called me to do in my life sharing the word uh, and this opportunity it just made sense God spoke to me and said this is when you should be going and so as we as we think about these different things that we can work on reading God's word more seeking biblical counsel praying looking at our circumstances and decisions that we get to make and see if God is steering us one way or another. I think a lot of times for me, it's learning to eliminate distracting voices. What are the voices in our lives that distract us and, and that maybe even take us away from where God really wants us to be? There's, there's kind of a haze is the way I described it to Brian this week. And he's like, that makes a lot of sense. I find the more I'm on uh, social media or, or, or watching TV and the news or if I'm engaging with the culture and politics. And I'm not speaking out against any of those things that I just mentioned. But if that's where I'm spending all my time and focus, I find myself in a haze, kind of distracted. It's harder for me to hear from God. So is there one of those areas that maybe you need to pull back from and focus in on God in a little bit different way? 
God's voice is out there. That frequency is around us and you and I need to learn to tune into it because he's inviting you into something today. And for some of you, it's a big step and you haven't heard or you've heard it and you don't want to, don't want, you want to act like you haven't heard it. You want to ignore it. And for some of us, we just haven't heard because we have so many distractions going on. It's tuning into three different things, right? Maybe we're not listening well enough. And yet, what is, what is God calling you to today? That would be my question for you today to consider during the rest of this time of worship and as you go into this, this week. When you look at your own faith journey, what is God calling you to do? Some of you maybe haven't placed your faith in, in God as your, uh, as your salvation from this world and from sin. You haven't believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe today... The fine-tuning brings you to a place where you're ready to make that decision. And if that's you today, I would love to talk to you. I know Pastor Dave would love to talk to you. We'll be available in the back afterwards. But if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're a mature believer. What area is God calling you to look at and to change? Or to tweak just a little bit? Or to go into with a renewed gospel kingdom mindset? Because I think he's doing that for all of us. And so we need to know how to hear God's voice through those different areas. And then we need to respond to his voice. And we see Samuel. We see a great example. Here I am. And then he stopped and he listened to God. He didn't say, here I am and this is what I can do for you, God. He said, here I am. And then he listened. What do you, what do you have for me? I'm ready to listen. I'm ready to learn. So we can learn a lot from this young man. He serves as an example of a way that we should respond to God. Are you ready to accept and submit to his authority? And if you've heard God's voice, there's always ways to check that. If you think that it sounds a little bit off, it might be. So maybe you haven't heard from God. And so check with God's word and with those biblical friends, those counsel, those mentors in your life. Talk to people, right? God will never contradict his word. So if you're hearing from God, it should align our lives with his storyline. And so my prayer for you this week is that you're able to tune into that.